0: This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. The new TNN proudly presents WCW Must Die. Starring Conan. You guys are a bunch of cranberries. Chronic. We're all about cashing checks and breaking necks. Mike Tanay. Chronic hurts people for money. Tank Abbott. Where's Big Bill Goldberg at? Huh? Looking for Goldberg. The Chosen One. Jeff Jarrett. Choke on that, you old dirt old slap ass. Mean Gene Okerlund. Blow it out your ass, Jarrett. The Franchise. Shane Douglas. <laughs> Kimberly. It's all about me. Mike. Awesome. I threw Canyon off the top of that cage. Canyon. Yeah, I'm positively Canyon. General Rection. Misfits, fall in and bring me major guns. Lieutenant Loco. (laughs) And if you don't, (laughs) I'll kill you. Pamela Palshock. What are your thoughts about the ambulance match? Rick Steiner. Don't like me? Bat me. Scott Hudson. That's the thug life, Tony. Mark Madden. Snoochie boochies, Tony. Stevie Ray. What the hell is he talking about, Tony? Vampiro. I am your anti-hero, Steve. Sting. I'm not ribbing ya. Scott Steiner. You're done finer. I'm doing a 69er. got Steiner. Ric Flair. Rutho. Rutho. Woo. Ernest. The Cat Miller. May I please have your attention, please? May I please have your attention, please? Shut the hell up. Eric Bishop. You guys, you guys stop. You're too much. I I love you guys. I can feel it. There's a lot of love here. Tony Schiavone. The tag mate now to Chuck Palumby. It's it's the red liquid, the red liquid from Thunder. Big Sexy, Kevin Nash. (laughs) gimmicks alive. Look at the adjective. It's a gimmick. Hollywood. Hulk Hogan. This, this your thing, Russo? For the company's in the in the damn state it's in, cause of bullshit like this. Vince Russo. I'm here for the Book of T's and Jeff Jarrett's of this world! That belt don't mean shit. It is the year 2012. Johnny C. gets a new job. The job requires Johnny C. to travel great distances and spend many a nights alone in a hotel. The WWE Network is just a glimmer in the eye of Vince Man. And so Johnny C. De- decides, against his better judgment, To find a way to download every WCW pay-per-view from the year 2000. Because Johnny C., for some reason, is obsessed with the nonsense, shenanigans, and incoherent nature of year 2000, WCW. Johnny continues to travel throughout the years, and uses this external hard drive full of WCW pay-per-views to soothe his lonely nights on the road. It's the year 2000, who knows? Johnny C. continues to travel, but now finds solace in podcast journalism as an active listener. He discovers the Place to Be Nation podcast and enjoys the uh, vault recaps contributed by one Scott Scolo and one J.T. Rizzaro. He continues to listen as J.T. breaks free from the bonds of of the Place to Be Nation. Actually, he just sort of starts a side project, because he's still there, uh, along with Chad Campbell, and creates the North-South Connection Podcast Network. It's there that Johnny C. most likely doesn't hear Aaron George for the very first time, but begins to recognize the podcasting talents and style of one Aaron George. Cut to 2021, when during some show... Somebody says, hey, if you've got an idea and you think you might have some talent to back it up, why don't you reach out to us here at the North-South Connection Podcast Network? It is now June of 2021. Johnny C. reaches out to Aaron George. Johnny C. has an idea. What if there was a podcast that covered the dying days of WCW? The North South Connection Podcast Network already has a show about NWA TNA, which is ironically named TNA Never Dies due to the fact that NWA TNA still exists when everyone has assumed it would die a horrible death. Based on this show, Aaron George and Johnny C. decide to name their new program WCW Must Die. We target the genesis of the death of WCW, the WCW year 2000 reboot in April of 2000. Just by itself, 2000. And then, in July of 2021, WCW Must Die Episode episode 1 penetrates the eardrums of North-South Connection Podcast Network. In 2022, Johnny C. is... Given a question. With the amount of content currently created on the North South Connection Podcast Network, Johnny, you must make a choice. You're currently hosting the Multiverse of Fabulousness and WCW Must Die. One must stand, one must fall. Johnny chooses the Multiverse of Fabulousness because the task. Of watching WCW Year 2000 programming, recapping it, and finding someone who's willing to guest host is a taxing position. It takes a lot of effort. And so the multiverse lives, and WCW must die, dies, 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 dies. Weeks later, Johnny C. realizes, on his phone, he has a few episodes of WCW must die already in the can. Johnny has grown fond of podcasting and launches a podcast channel called The Aqua Cave. He posts the remaining episodes of WCW Must Die, and leaves WCW Must Die behind. October 2022, The Aqua Cave is renamed the new TNN, the podcast feed you've come to know and love. In 2023, Johnny resurrects WCW Must Die, And here today, we are finally at episode 20 of WCW Must Die. My name is Johnny C. You know it. You love it. And thank you to anyone who's ever listened. I swear to God, our, let's see here, I think our, let's see, WCW Must Die. Die. It's it's the twentieth anniversary, which is why I, I you know I, I got into the old uh recapping how we got here and what have you. But slambery was the last pay-per-view that we covered, folks, and that was episode nine of WCW Must Die. It's taken so long that was February twelfth, twenty twenty two. And that was on the No So Network. And now, here we are. It is according to to the WCW pay-per-view broadcast team, June 11th, in the year 2000. We are in the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland, for... For, did I say? For Castrol GTX's Great American Bash 2000. And I'm so, so excited to be able to bring you this episode. Now, a little caveat, ladies and gentlemen. The Great American Bash 2000, as I mentioned, is the first pay-per-view we've done in a long time. Three hours of nonsense. It's a lot to talk about, and it's a lot to cover without a co-host. And this card is long. Ten matches, plus a surprise that will change WCW as we know it. So this is the first of a two-part WCW Must Die episode. Part 2 will drop shortly after Part 1 is released. So what are we going to talk about today? So this card is er eerily similar to WrestleMania 1 in that it starts at the bottom and works its way up. So this episode, which is 20 Part 1, and the next one will be 20 Part 2. It won't be 21. Today we're going to cover the first six matches on the card, which means Part 2 will cover the four main events and the surprise that will alter sports entertainment As we know it. So, without further ado, let's dive in to the bash. As previously mentioned, it's June 11th, 2000. We're in the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. And ladies and gentlemen, the pay-per-view starts with some recaps of action from Nitro and Thunder that we've already talked about. But it centers around the return of Goldberg. We see Goldberg beating up Tank Abbott. We see him fighting the New Blood, helping out Kevin Nash. Ironically, Goldberg is not even scheduled to be here tonight. In fact, Goldberg was suspended by Eric Bischoff on thunder. Now we cut to our first live footage of this event, and we see numerous police officers have surrounded the Baltimore arena. Are they here to force fans to attend the event? No! They're here to protect WCW from Goldberg. Will he show up here tonight and try to put a damper on the new blood's reign of terror? Well, we have to just keep watching. This open transitions to our proper opening pay-per-view video, which is voiced over by the same guy that does the commercials that say, you cannot imagine what will happen at the Great American Bash. You cannot imagine what will happen at Slamboree. Uh, the opening video puts focus on some of our big matches tonight, including Flair versus Fleer. Uh, that would be David versus Rick, with Rick Flair's career on the line. The Asylum match for the United States Heavyweight Championship match between Scott Steiner and Tank Abbott. During this hype for the Asylum match... We get to hear Tank Abbott say, I'm going to go crazy in the asylum. Hype for Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea, or Hollywood Hogan, as he's now known, versus Kidman. Where, in a voiceover, Hulk Hogan lets us know that Billy Kidman is going to be the supreme sacrifice, dude. The sup- is, does, does Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Terry Bolea have a temple of doom under his house? Does he, does he, is he going to tie up Kidman after the match? And, and all of the fucking disciples of Hulkamania show up. You've got Tugboat, uh, Bruce Beefcake, and, and Hogan, and Brian Knobs, all those guys. And Hogan has Kidman chained up and he's like, whoa, dude, Kali Ma, Kali Ma, Sipsi Day, but your dude. And then they're like, Tala, 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 Tala. And, and, you know, Hogan rips out Kidman's heart. But he your heart, but eat your heart, dude. Billy Kidman, you get down on that lava magma, dude, because you're the supreme sacrifice for the temple of Hulkamania, brother. Oh, yeah, look at him go down that. Brutus, Brutus, it ain't going any further. You got to crank the crank the rod, dude. Make that wheel spin so Billy Kidman's the supreme sacrifice, dude. Yeah, I said Kali Ma, Kali Ma subshi Day in the Hulk Hogan voice, dude. Deal with it. We get hype for Jarrett defending the WCW title against Nash of a Kevin, and then flames will be ignited in the most bizarre match imaginable—the Human Torch match. Which somehow, somehow, WCW is not getting sued by Marvel, even though they're calling it the Human Torch match. To hype the Human Torch match, we hear Vampiro say, "Only the, only the, oh, oh, only the sinners." are going to burn in hell. You cannot imagine what will take place here at Castrol GTX's Great American Bash 2000. The event opens with some weak-ass pyrotechnics. And here, joining us for commentary, as always, Tony Schiavone, Scott Hudson, and Mark Smokey Madden. No time to talk about these three jabrones, though, because here come the misfits in action. All of them are here for our first match. We've got Major Stash, Corporal Cage and General Rection, Lieutenant Loco, and of course, Major Guns. Tony Schiavone lets us know that the MRA, the MRA, God, the MRA are the least of our concerns because he just wants to talk about the scores of police officers surrounding the Baltimore Arena. Mark Madden chimes in, If anyone's a all, Tony Schiavone, it's Goldberg. Uh, he's too big, too mean, and too powerful to be told what to do by anybody, let alone those Baltimoreans that call themselves a police force. I think it's going to be pretty co- tough to keep Bill Goldberg from interjecting himself here tonight. Which isn't very funny, but I do think it's funny that Madden had to say all that stuff just so he could try to sound intelligent by using the word "scufflaw." Scott Hudson wants to know what the big surprise is going to be for the evening. That Eric Bischoff has promised that will alter sports entertainment history forever. This just lets me know that Scott Hudson is absolutely the type of kid that would search around his own home for Christmas presents. General Rection has the microphone and tells the misfits in action to fall in. We get some gems on commentary. Major Guns is here. You're not kidding. Lieutenant Loco. Your mission tonight is to defend the Cruiserweight Championship against Disco Inferno. Disco Inferno, or Disco Inferno, Lieutenant Loco then has a microphone and says, Disco Inferno, I got a little surprise for you, baby. He then pulls a grenade out of his pants pocket. Say hello to my little friend. General Rection freaks out about this grenade and so does standards and practices as the camera immediately cuts away from this little grenade. General Rection says, put those toys away, Chavo, to let us know that, hey, it wasn't an actual grenade. It was just a little plastic toy. You know, because standards and practices would absolutely freak out if they thought we were showing live ammunition on a premium live event broadcast. It reminds me of that time that Big Al and Tank Abbott fought in a skins match and Tank Abbott pulled out a knife and Tony hypothesized, well, he's got some scissors. He might be going to cut Big Al's beard, even though it was clearly a knife. And Big Al did not have a beard. Craziness, right? So, anywho, uh, Lieutenant Loco can't, give up his mic time without getting in his brand new catchphrase, and says, Filthy animals! You mess with me! You mess with this match! (laughs) I'll kill ya! A filthy, a dirty, a nasty, that's the way we like it! So, I hear some filthy music. I see a filthy purple sheet hanging in the entranceway. Behind this filthy purple sheet, I see filthy people posing. I see some filthy pyrotechnics, which means the filthy animals are here. The purple sheet falls to reveal that is indeed the case. So Disco, now going by Disco, like Cisco D-I-S-Q-O, is wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey. Trying to be cool. He's flanked by Conan, the Juice, Ray 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 Mysteric, and Tigress. Commentary still talking about all of the cops, and Madden randomly chimes in, Hey, what was that thing Lieutenant Loco had in his hands, Tony? Uh, I believe it was a toy grenade. Uh, but then Madden adds in, Huh, I thought Major Guns had a market cornered on fake plastic round things. And we're off, adds Scott Hudson. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. I'll allow it to happen. So, we're going to carry the long-standing WCW tradition of starting pay-per-views with cruiserweight title matches. Even though I'm not quite sure that this one's going to set the world on fire. Unless, of course, that grenade goes off. The bell rings! So, I guess it's time to explain what it is we actually do here on this program. So, WCW in the year 2000 is so convoluted. The way I recap this stuff is quite simple I tell you what happened Straight up And then I spend a little time trying to figure out What the hell happened So, the best example I can give you is this Match number one For the WCW Cruiserweight Championship Lieutenant Loco defeats Disco Via the Finnish Palooza, Tony So there you go, that's what happened Lieutenant Loco's going to beat Disco. Now we'll determine what the hell happened. How did we get there? And if you know the ending, it's easier to follow along. I swear. At least that's what the market research tells us, Tony. So we're talking about the misfits in action. And, uh, and Tony adds, well, we talk about misfits in action. But if there ever was a misfit within the Filthy Animals, it's Disco. Lieutenant Loco whips Disco. And hits a flipping clothesline type maneuver, and I honestly, I honestly only thought that creator wrestlers did this flipping clothesline thing, because I feel like it's one of those default moves that every creator wrestler does. But oh well, I don't know. Um, Mark Madden is here to let us know where his allegiance lies in this encounter. You know, I love the Filthy Animals. They got Ray, Conan, Hoovy, and Ray's main trim Tigress. Uh, Disco does kind of stick out though. But the filthy animals. I love them, Tony. They're WCW's local degenerates. So, uh, Ray's main trim tigress, ladies and gentlemen. Back in the ring, Lieutenant Loco hits a little gut kick. I believe that Lieutenant Loco wanted Disco to catch his little gut kick. Uh, but Disco didn't. So Lieutenant Loco charges and gets lifted into a stun gun maneuver. Disco then does some, uh, hopping tiny crotch chops to enrage the misfits in action. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. That's what he does. The ref prevents the misfits in action from entering. Tony chimes in, Major Stash there with Corporal Cajun. Oh, Kirk, <laughs> no, hold on. I fucked the whole thing up. Major Stash there with Colonel Cajun. That's Corporal Cajun. He got a promotion there, Tony. Yeah, he did get a promotion. Just now. Lieutenant Loco is up top with a reverse drop kick. It sends Disco to the outside, and the crowd gives no reaction. Disco is in the wrong part of town because the M.I.A. strike. It's not a lumberjack match, folks. But remember, the disqualification rule has been relaxed here in WCW. The M.I.A. toss Disco in. Yo, know, he shouldn't be Disco anymore. He should be the Hip Hop Inferno, Tony. Hip Hop Inferno. That's a good call. One, two, no. Lieutenant Loco with some chops, but Disco Irish whips, jumps, and counters, and hits Lieutenant Loco with a side play for a two-count. Back in the ring, Lieutenant Loco puts his head down. He gets a kick to the face. Disco runs with a crossbody block, but he misses and rolls out of the ring. But luckily, he's on the right side of town this time. However, Lieutenant Loco goes up top and mugs. He hits a diving plancha from the top rope onto Disco while the Filthy Animals look on. Uh, this move is called the Kamikaze Loco by Scott Hudson. Disco Inferno is tossed back inside, but the Filthy Animals attack Lieutenant Loco and then toss him inside, hoping to give Disco an advantage. The Misfits in action and Filthy Animals come dangerously close to blows on the outside, and Tony accidentally calls Major Stash, Private Stash. He is corrected, however. Scott Hudson reminds us that Lieutenant Loco won the Cruiserweight gold on our last edition of Thunder by beating Daphne. I wanted to forget that, Scott, so fuck you. Disco's up on the middle turnbuckle. He gyrates and hits a diving axi-boomba. He covers. One, two, no. And fuck me sideways, ladies and gentlemen. As if this match wasn't already a clusterfuck, here comes Pops. Pops, of course, General Rection's dad. He's like an old man that wears a General Patton uniform. Uh, back in the ring, inverted atomic drop in a clothesline from the west side by Disco Inferno. He covers one, two, no. On the outside, Pops is hitting on Ray's main trim, Tigress. I don't know what he says to her, but I do hear Pops say the words, Jennifer Lopez. Ray and Conan attack Pops and shove him down. Pops is out cold. The Juice uses this distraction to attack Lieutenant Loco in the ring. He hits Big Show's finish, the final cut. You guys remember the final cut? And then, Hoovy delivers the Hoovy elbow. But he misses, and Lieutenant Loco is up. But Disco hits with the stunner, last dance maneuver. Wait! Corporal Cajun is now in. He hits his move, whatever the fuck Corporal Cages finishes, He puts Lieutenant Loco on top of Disco for the one, two, three. Lame. It, we're done with this, though. A Pier 69 brawl breaks out. The filthy animals win. The filthy animals celebrate get, getting their heat back, and they leave. However, Pops is still unconscious on the outside, and it looks like Major Guns has got to get her shit in. Uh, in a hilarious moment here, Major Guns is trying to get the Misfits in action to come over to where Pops is. And Tony says, Major Guns, trying to get the Misfits over! So fucking true, Tony, you don't even know. Pops is still down, Major Guns looks on, and Madden chimes in, Oh, come on, honey, pick an end. Either way, it's going to revive him. Yikes! <laughs> Jesus, Mark. Well, this is rated TV MA for all of you watchdogs out there. Finally, after a shit ton of wasted time, Major Guns rips her shirt. She's stripping, and a man is dying. Hurry up and get down there, honey. Finally, she does deliver CPR. The crowd could not care less, but Pops shoots up, awakened from his coma. But then he shoots immediately back down. It appears he requires more air from the lungs of Major Guns. Guns gives him more CPR. Pops wakes up and starts molesting Major Guns. So, to make an incredibly long story short, folks, Lieutenant Loco is still the Cruiserweight Champion, and the match was an absolute waste of time. And so, I'm ready to deliver my star ranking. I give this match one round, hard, perfectly shaped, plastic toy grenade. Backstage, Eric Bischoff and Artist the Cat Miller are here! Woohoo! Now, there's a shit ton of cops in their little dressing room here, and one of the cops puts his hand on Eric's shoulder as if to tell him everything will be okay, and says, don't worry, Mr. Bischoff, nothing to worry about. All the exits are covered. I hope this cop didn't get paid for this role, because his dialogue delivery is stilted and awful. Bischoff's like, well, you know what? Goldberg better not get in here tonight. No one's going to ruin my surprise tonight for Kevin Nash. The cat chimes in with his new repeating gimmick. Nobody. Nobody. Mean Gene is in the back with the Mama Lukes. Hey, that's Bison's! See, the Mama Lukes are about to do tag team battle with Chronic. To determine once and for all who are the number one contenders for the WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Championships, of course, currently held by Perfect Sean Stasiak and the main event Chuck Palumbi. Now, Vito is wearing the WCW Hardcore Championship around his waist and he calls himself the Hardcore Champion. Gene realizes he could stir up some ship shit and he's all like wait a minute big Vito you're the hardcore champion not your tag team partner Johnny the Bull. Vito's like hey we ain't got time for this interview let's get out of here and they leave but Gene's all like hey 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 Vito I'm asking you a question here but the interview is over. Holy shit, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's the summer here in 2023, but I wish I could travel back to the summer of 2000 because I did purchase this pay-per-view live as it happened. And those of you that send in your cable bill as a proof of purchase to WCW could get a Hulk Hogan inflatable raft for your pool. Oh, I want this so bad. Just a big, gaudy, yellow Hulk Hogan inflatable raft with Hulk's picture on it that says Hulkster. Ah, I should have gotten this. However, looks like the deadline for submissions was September 11th, 2000. So I I missed my window. Madden's in like, well, you know, Tony, a lot of Hulk Hogan merchandise is going to be marked down after tonight because he's going to lose his career to Billy Kidman, Tony. No time to longer speak about this inflatable raft because... Here come the Mama With their theme music that I kind of like. Now these guys have absolutely no heat, which is hilarious because J.T.B. as they're walking down the aisle smacks a random fan sign out of his hands. It's just hilarious because it's met with with not even silence but just apatheticness. Like, like I don't even want to be here by the crowd. Vito yells at the camera. Nobody in the crowd cares. Like no one cares about the Vava Lukes at all. I kind of feel bad for him. Chronic, Chronic, Chronic. Here come Chronic. Of course, Chronic, composed of Brian Baum and Brian Crush. And hey, look at these guys. They've got some shiny new Chronic coats that they're wearing that has like Chronic armor on it. And when you combine these with their sunglasses and their mesh tops, you know, that they wear underneath these jackets, both of these motherfuckers kind of look like. Fender. Now, if you're not familiar with Fender, yes, it is the name of a guitar. But Fender is the villainous rogue that appears in the tremendous Jean-Claude Van Damme classic film, Cyborg. The guy who sounds like the Macho Man at the beginning when he's like, I like the death. I like the misery. I like this one." On commentary, Tony wonders if Eric Bischoff has perhaps shown his hand a little bit early, as he's indicated that the surprise that will change sports entertainment forever seems to revolve around Kevin Nash. Mark Madden dives in for the save. Well, you know, Tony, I've read everything on the internet and all the newsletters, and i listened to all the hotline reports, Tony, uh, but nobody knows what a big surprise that's going to change sports entertainment's going to be. Heck, you know, it could even be two surprises. The bell rings, however. So it's time to talk about match number two, wherein Chronic defeats the Mamelukes to become the number one contenders for the WCW Tag Team Championship via the avarice of Big Vito. Chronic rushes into the ring and immediately start with some brawling Fists of THC resin and gambling debts are thrown left and right, so the Mabalukes take a timeout, head to the outside, and regroup. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's an important piece of information you need to keep inside your skull dome for the rest of this match recap. Big Vito, as of this moment, is still wearing the Hardcore Championship belt. He will be wearing it for the rest of the match, and here on the outside, he's polishing the belt with his own hands Mark Madden can't figure out who the hardcore champion really is well we know it's not Terry Funk I guess it's not Eric Bischoff even though he won it on our last Nitro Uh, you know I guess Bischoff gave it to the Mama Lukes but which one did he give it to that's the real question and an underlying narrative to this tag team encounter so Brian Baum and JTB start this thing off and as I previously mentioned Vito wearing the belt on the ring apron I kind of love it. JTB starts this match by taunting. He does like a forget about it chin swipe. Like, hey, come here. You, you still got to forget about it. <laughs> hey, he did it. I'm just emulating it, okay? We get a lockup, and Brian Baum hits with a little gut kick. He puts JTB in the corner, shades of baby, and JTB is eating vicious knee strikes and chops delivered from the bombster. JTB tries to fight back. He throws a punch. The punch is caught, and Brian Baum hits a one-handed Yoranage! The crowd kind of loves it, and I don't blame them. A shoulder tackle by Brian Baum sends JTB to the outside. Brian Baum follows the bull to the outside and does a uh, like side Russian leg sweep into the steel railing. It's kind of cool. Back inside the ring now, JTB is whipped into the ropes. Brian Baum goes for a big clothesline from Three Mile Island, but Johnny ducks. And then hits a spin kick! Johnny tags Big Vito in, and they hit a double-team Axie Boomba. Followed up with gangland-style stomps, like, nah, nah, stomp, stomp, stomp. After the gangland-style stomps, Big Vito dances and says, "Hey." And then he points at his hardcore championship. Big Vito now with some vicious Mama Luke strikes, but Brian Baum says no and takes back control. But a Vito knee allows Johnny the Bull to be tagged back inside even though he only had a moment's of respite because Big Vito can't be bothered to wrestle and perhaps ruin his hardcore title. Brian Baum gets back on the offense and hits a tilt-a-world neckbreaker. So what that means is he tilt-a-whirls him and then slams him down onto his knee, but instead of slamming his knee into the, the man's back, he slams it into his neck. Chronic, you know, they're kind of fun here. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting into their offense. Brian Crush is tagged in and he mauls JTB. Uh, this next moment is not really important, but Tony Shivani on commentary calls the Mama Luke's quote, <clears throat> A team that has thrived and prospered under the banner of the new blood. Which is such a Tony Schiavone thing to say, I just had to mention it. A full Nelson by Brian Crush is converted into a vicious slam. He covers. One. Two. No. Now, JTP didn't so much kick out, but Big Vito did come into the ring and kick Brian Crush to break up the pin, but then promptly after delivering the kick, he made sure to polish his hardcore gold. Brian Baum is back in, whips JTB into the buckle, sternum first, but JTB leaps over, a charging Brian Baum, but Brian catches him and delivers a British Bulldog running-style power slam. One, two, no! Big Vito breaks up the pin and again adjusts his hardcore strap. Brian Crush is tagged in and whips JTB, but JTB ducks and hits his own diving clothesline that sends Brian Crush down. JTB desperately needs to tag, but he doesn't. He tries to splash Brian Crush, and Brian Crush counters this into a military press, which is then dropped into a vicious gut-buster. One, two, no! Vito saves, and now he adjusts the gold of a hardcore nature around his waist. Brian Crush is bounced off the ropes, and Vito delivers a vicious kick. Brian Crush doubles over, a kick by Johnny the Bull. Johnny the Bull then hits an execution called Front Face DDT by Tony Schiavone. Big Vito is tagged back in. His offense consists of stomp, stomp, a gut punch, and slamming Crush down by his hair. You see, it's hard to produce thrilling offense when you're wearing your hardcore title. So I understand. A corner clothesline now by the Vietster. He charges a second time, but kisses the top turnbuckle with his own lips. Chronic is now double-teaming with a big back body drop. Vito is down, and Brian Crush takes the hardcore title off of Vito. Unfortunately, the crowd doesn't react to this revolutionary spot. It's too bad. Crush now has Vito up for what should be a Death Valley driver. However... Bryant Crush tries to break the timeline by attempting an F5 a year before Brock Lesnar would make a commonplace. And ladies and gentlemen, Brian Crush nearly kills Vito dead. Vito lands headfirst, spiking the mat. As my friend Josh Bolin from Dude might say, the impact was brutal. Mark Madden calls the move a rather dramatic version of the Brainbuster. Tony. Cover only gets one? Vito's just fucking going on, uh, like, uh, what is it, Uh, instinct here. He's clearly out on his back. Somehow, though, Vito stands up and throws a super kick. He then feels his tum-tum and realizes that the hardcore gold is gone. He gets a panicked look on his face and immediately tags Johnny the Bull. Vito goes searching for his belt. Johnny the Bull power slams Brian Baum. The announcers let us know that Big Vito has found the belt, and he's over at the announce table putting it on and polishing it. Johnny the Bull's in the corner. He does his standing leap onto the top turnbuckle. However, it does not go the way he desired, as gravity is a fickle mistress. JTB tries his leap again. He succeeds. Unbeknownst to JTB, though, Brian Baum is up. JTV dives backwards for his patented JTB backwards splash, but Brian Bob is just already up and standing, and he watches JTB's failure with glee as JTB crashes down onto the mat. Crushes in now, Chronic hits a big double tackle, and it looks like Chronic is getting a little fired up. Vito continues to polish the gold on the outside as JTB is desperate to tag, but no one is there. Chronic hits the high times for an easy one, two, three, and Chronic are the number one contenders. So, to recap and rank, this match had a very silly hook, and I'm a sucker for mid card acts that have like a little character beat going on. Uh, think D.Lo Brown's Bulletproof Vest. Like, I love little shit like that that gives a mid card act a little bit of extra polish. No pun intended about Big Vito polishing the belt. So, I'm I'm kind of drawn in by Big Vito doing this belt thing. Now, your mileage might vary, but as a concept, it hooks me. Uh, and Chronic, you know, they continue to show that they could probably get themselves over with their power offense alone, and there were a couple funny botches. So, all in all, I'm going to give this match two and a half months of probation for a low-level drug-related offense. And now, ladies and gentlemen... A moment I know you've all been waiting for. We cut to the backstage WCW Great American Bash interview area. And Pamela Paulshock is here with a very nervous-looking Diamond Dallas Page. DDP, tonight, you're up against Mike Ambulance. DDP, tonight, you're up against Mike Awesome in an ambulance match. And he says he's going to, uh, um putting into your career, like he did to Canyon. Folks, it's a ridiculous moment in sports entertainment history that I know only I love, but I love it. An ambulance match. DDP, however, ain't scared. So what are you calling him? A career killer? I don't think so, bimbo. That ain't happening. DDP then calls it an ambulance match. Why can't these fucking people say ambulance? It's not hard. DDP indicates he's got some motivational, inspirational, and good God, no, I'm sorry, he's got motivation, inspiration, and good God, stimulation coming from Mike Awesome. I don't know what that could be, but folks, I'm hooked. I don't know about you. The ambulance is arriving and backing into the entranceway. Uh, The EMT that ends up on camera here, folks, looks like a dead ringer for like a teenage MJF. If anybody out there was wondering. But here comes TCK, Mike Awesome. TCK, that stands for the career killer, Tony. So this match is going to be contested under ambulance rules. Which means you must put your opponent into the ambulance, shut the doors, and then the vehicle must drive away in order to obtain... Victory, Madden blows a verbal load trying to put Mike Awesome over on commentary. And I don't buy it. Like, I like Awesome. But Awesome's been floundering away with DDP and Canyon like ever since he showed up back in April. Uh, Honestly, I think Awesome should have been feuding with Hogan. but, But that's just me. Here comes Diamond Dallas Page. But he isn't alone, ladies and gentlemen. He brings out Canyon in a wheelchair wearing a halo. Uh, he then leaves Canyon by the entranceway all alone, summons his pyro, and comes down to the ring. It should be noted here, ladies and gentlemen, that Canyon uh, is sitting in the wheelchair with his mouth agape, and I believe he's drooling. Now, this could be considered to be a bad taste. However, Canyon's going all in on it, so I guess I'll allow it. Madden's all like, wow well, you're just going to leave Canyon up there. You know, he could be in some danger, Tony. Uh, DDP is giving high fives to everybody in the ringside area. He sees that a fan is holding his book positively, page, And so DDP mounts the railing and gives this guy a kiss on the forehead and charges into the ring. Uh, The bell goes ding. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's match number three. An ambulance match. And Mike Awesome defeats Diamond Dallas Page via a positively miraculous development. cuffs start the match and both men for some reason decide to punch the referee at the same time. Even though there's no rules and it's weird, but that's fine. DDP clotheslines Mike Awesome over the top, so it's time to brawl in the ringside area. Paige gets punched over the security railing and we get some very minor crowd brawling. Awesome Back in the ringside area, grabs a steel chair, but off camera, DDP has already gotten his own chair. He swings at Awesome, but Awesome ducks and scurries back inside the ring. Now, ladies and gentlemen, both men at a vertical base, they're staring, both holding a chair, facing off dead center in the ring. Both men with a chair, facing off like samurai warriors here. They chair saber fight! Whom, whom, DDP hits Mike's chair saber away, and DDP appears to have the high ground. DDP feels, though, that he might have an unfair advantage, and so Paige tosses his own chair to Mike Awesome. Now, TCK, Mike Awesome, has cat-like reflexes and catches the chair. But as a side effect of catching the chair, Mike Awesome is now holding the chair dangerously close. To his own face a van paginator punch by ddp sends the chair crashing into the face of tck this move is called by tony shivani he tossed the chair at awesome and then gloms him with it ddp controls the match until mike awesome runs the buckles and hits a back elbow a belly-to-belly soup play by mike awesome and then awesome hits an ultimate warrior splash We cut to the aisle and see that two EMTs are waiting with the stretcher. Or a gurney, according to Tony. Clothesline by Mike Awesome sends DDP down. Awesome yells, He ain't shit! Alright. Awesome and Paige then somehow botch a stun gun spot. And then TCK heads outside to get a table. Canyon continues to watch on from the entrance. Honestly... I'm not quite sure the man knows where he is. Tony is all like, Canyon must be thinking about the crash. Which makes me laugh because it makes me think of like TV shows or in Kindergarten Cop when the kid's like, My dad hasn't been the same since the crash. When characters are like, Everything changed the night of the crash. TCK has DDP up and Awesome bombs him through a table. The EMTs arrive on the scene, and they put DDP on the stretcher. Awesome watches these plebes do his dirty work from the ring. Halfway up the ramp, though, DDP rolls off the gurney, which means the match must continue. Mike Awesome approaches with a chair of solid steel and crashes it into the back of DDP. He then tosses DDP inside and hits multiple chair-based strikes. Ladies and gentlemen, at this moment, Scott Hudson tries to win himself an Emmy by prognosticating on the entire Diamond Dallas Page storyline, and I quote, alright, here we go here. Diamond Dallas Page fighting with raw adrenaline, raw emotion. He doesn't see Mike Awesome. He just sees the living, breathing form of the man that represents the group, the new blood that cost him his home, his wife, his health, and his World Heavyweight Championship. But it's given him a fire, Tony Mark, that we've never seen in Diamond Dallas Page—a fire to destroy another human being. And tonight, it's awesome, baby. Wow. Uh, Mike Awesome hits a froggy style splash. He goes up top and hits another. My God, the sheer frogginess of a TCK, Mike Awesome. TCK goes up for a third frog slash, but before he does, he makes himself a DDP chair sandwich. He puts one chair under DDP and one chair on top. Awesome heads up top. He leaps, but no! DDP rolls away. Now Mike Awesome does not land on the chairs, even though Tony Schiavone claims he did. There's a stirring in the aisleway. What could it be? Uh Uh-oh. Here comes Kimber Kimberly Page, and she's carried a goddamn lead pipe. Madden's all like, oh, man, she's looking fine. What are you talking about, Madden? She's wearing the drapes, for Pete's sake! I mean, she's just wearing a duster. I mean, it's kind of a a loud, gaudy duster, but still. Um, she casually strikes DDP in the back with a steel pipe or a lead pipe. It doesn't matter. <laughs> None of this matters. Who could possibly rescue DDP from these pipe-based strikes? Snoochie Boochies, Tony! It's Miss Hancock. Miss Hancock's coming down in the ring, Tony. That's why he said Snoochie Boochies. Of course, on Thunder, Miss Hancock and Kimberly got into some shenanigans, so it's going to continue here on a premium live event. She drags me all the way to the backstage area. Back in the ring now. Uh, Mike Awesome uh, is climbing the buckle, like, Slowly. And he's got DDP with him and it looks like he's gonna lift him into an awesome bomb from the top rope because they're facing the ring. You fuckers know DDP ain't gonna go up for this top rope awesome bomb. So DDP counters with a low blow. What does Scott Hudson call this low blow? A little top rope bro Now, Mike Awesome is crouching forward on the top turnbuckle. DDP is standing, so DDP hits, out of nowhere, a top rope RKO. Now the crowd boos at this, which I find strange. DDP rolls Mike Awesome to the outside, and the EMTs put him on the stretcher. Awesome is now on the gurney, being pushed all the way to the ambulance. We're ever, ever so close to the ambulance, which is right by the entranceway, when suddenly I hear illegal music. Illegal music, Tony! That's illegal music! Illegal music! Now, wait a minute. Just, just pause. What the fuck do I mean by I hear some illegal music? Well, folks, since the uh, interns that work at WWE, uh, you know, that are, that are assigned the job of scrubbing shows on the network to mark the timestamps where they need to record over theme music that they're not allowed to play anymore, you know, for dubs. Since they only go to the beginning and ending of match, they don't really look for music that might play during the body of a match. So, what we're hearing is Eric Bischoff's theme song from the Desperado soundtrack. They're not paying for this. Should we start a class action lawsuit? I don't know. But, sure enough, Eric Bischoff is here. He has a chair, and by God, he is going to hit Chris Canyon with this chair. The nerve of an Eric Bischoff. The EMTs are trying to get Mike Awesome in the ambulance. DDP decides to go rescue Canyon. Now, DDP does save Canyon. He, like, sprints into the frame and tackles Eric Bischoff, practically murdering him. But wait a minute! Canyon stands up! He takes off the protective halo! It's a miracle! Yells Mark Madden. Canyon grabs DDP and hits the Canyon Cutter off of the stage through, like, 46 tables! onto a crash pad, and that's fine. Canyon then takes off his DDP shirt to reveal underneath the entire time was a new blood tank top. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Canyon is new blood. Scott Hudson calls this the ultimate betrayal. And then he adds, damn you, Chris Canyon, damn you to hell. Uh, Canyon gets DDP onto the gurney and into the ambulance. This whole time, by the way, the illegal desperado theme is playing. DDP is put into the ambulance. Uh, Mike Awesome slams the doors, spikes the camera, and hits his patented O'Doyle Rules pose. And ladies and gentlemen, your winner, TCK, Mike Awesome, Madden yells, Who's better than Canyon? Nobody! Tony pivots off of this. Who's better than Canyon? Well, who has a better plan than the new blood? So... This match was bad, but for all the fun reasons. I'm going to go out on a limb here and actually rank this higher than the last match. I'm going to give it three swerves. So, three matches in here. We haven't even caught up with our announcers yet, so now we're shooting the announce table, and we get to see Scott, Tony, and Mark for the first time all night. Hudson has his I-can't-believe-that-just-happened face going on. Madden is laughing, because, you know, he's the heel. Madden... Says some things to help put over this whole DDP Canyon scenario on commentary. He's all like, you know, DDP was cool with Canyon being his friend. You know, as long as Canyon carried the bags and stayed in the middle of the card. And then he's like, I love you, Chris Canyon. And does a legit chef's kiss. (sighs) Tony, ladies and gentlemen, makes the mistake of trying to find logic in this scenario. But what is the story here? Was this a game plan from maybe the word go? Was... If if we go back to Slamboree, when Canyon came up on top of the cage, was his plan to attack Paige then? But maybe it was cut short. But maybe they approached him in the hospital. What's the story behind the betrayal of Chris Canyon? Now, I, I kind of love this, though. I love the idea of Canyon at Slamboree being like, oh, man, I'm going to turn on DDP. I'm going to climb up the cage here. And then he gets attacked by Awesome. And he's like, wait a minute, guys. Thirsten, I was, I was going to help you. I don't like Paige anymore. And that's him yelling as he gets thrown off the cage. I don't know. I, I just love Tony trying to find logic in this thing. And really just shitting on the bed accidentally. But I give him absolutely an A for effort. Well, we're out of time to ponder these developments because we need to move on to our very next match as I hear some shitty theme music. Here, at Castle's Great American Bash 2000, Tony. Well, fans, the uh, aforementioned shitty music belongs to G.I. Bro. G.I. Bro ziplines down from the top of the arena, lands on the top rope, summons his pyro, and is ready to go for his match. Wait a minute! Whoa! Hold on! Slow down! Now, now you see that there? Or do you hear that there, what I just did? See how I casually announced these uh, events that just transpired that is how the show treats this entrance from GI bro who is indeed our next sports entertainer independent contractor to make their entrance look let's just we're gonna we're gonna di- dissect this for a second because I think it warrants further investigation so yeah GI bro zip lines down from the top of the arena a- and regardless of how that type of an entrance plays for you on an individual basis. Surely, like, we can all agree that if you're going to give a superstar such a, we'll call it a special entrance, perhaps you should slow down and put some emphasis on it, maybe. I also know that we're just a year removed from the death of Owen Hart, and and we could debate the level of good taste involved in this entire thing, but seriously... Like, they're doing it. Like, we can't go back and change history. So, they're doing it. Why are we not giving it any attention? Like, this is the antithesis of the WrestleMania 12 entrance. Think about the WrestleMania 12 Shawn Michaels entrance for just a moment, okay? Like, Sexy Boy hits. Jose Lothario's here. He walks down the aisle. Everyone's like, where's Shawn Michaels? Oh, I think Shawn Michaels is scared of pretty heart Aha! Jose enters the ring. He waves. The music ends. Uh, he mounts the buckle and points. Chunka chunka. Oh, oh, Sean! And then the spotlight. Sh- I mean, like you know what happens at WrestleMania 12. But here's the thing: there is build-up. We had a little bit of wonderment and collective questions we needed answered as the audience. We had cause to pause and wonder. Where is our hero? In that particular sense, Shawn Michaels. And not to mention, in this G.I. Bro entrance, like, there's nothing to indicate that G.I. Bro is next. Okay? They're they're not using the Booker T. They're not even using emergency, emergency. It's just this generic G.I. Bro music that has, like, gunshots in the audio track as well. So. G.I. Bro swings into view and we never had a chance to wonder wait where is G.I. Bro our American hero you know no one was able to say look G.I. Bro is there and point to the sky like we didn't even know he wasn't coming down to look up (sighs) by the way if you're wondering how this whole entrance looks the whole time Booker looks completely petrified and stiff like he's scared I don't blame him though He also almost gets stuck halfway down, and he has to violently thrust his groin forward to keep the momentum going. Now, when he lands on the top rope, not the top turnbuckle, but the top rope, like the Undertaker, like old school style, uh, his pyro does ignite when he lands, like right as he lands. So there is an idea here. Like, there is an idea present. The execution is just completely a waste. Now... There's more to a presentation than what you see. You've also, there's what you hear. So this is what it sounds like when G.I. Bro propels down and lands. First, we get Scott Hudson. Wow, propelling down the wire from the top of the Baltimore arena, G.I. Bro is ready for war. And then to add to this spectacular moment that will live in the annals of sports entertainment history, Tony adds, Bischoff comes down, wheeled in the chair, and we still have to ask, have to wonder of the landmark announcement, the big surprise that's coming down that Bischoff said he didn't want an appearance from Goldberg to Ruin here tonight. And yes, he does say Ruin like he's Stewie Griffin. I didn't add that in post. It's real, it's there. Now compare that to Vince at WrestleMania 12. unbelievable what a ride! Uh G.I. Bro's opponent this evening is Mr Perfection Sean, Sean Stasiak, who is of course one half of the Tag Team Champions with his uh tag team partner Chuck Palumbi. Uh mister Perfection has on war paint and uh military print fatigues. He has a microphone and he's here to speak. Now as he's speaking, something is squeaking. I don't know if it's microphone feedback, perhaps a young child or someone like making a noise with a noise machine at the Baltimore arena. But there's this squeak the entire time. It's so grating on my ear holes. Um, Sean wants us. To, well, Sean speaks. He says, take a look. I don't even have a Sean. Stacey. Like, how do you even talk like Sean? You're just trying to sound as bland as possible. Take a look at a perfect. Take a look at what a perfect soldier of fortune looks like. Upon getting a good look of his face paint configuration, Madden says, Ah, perfection. Looks like uh, Paul Stanley after a drunk makeup artist got down with him, Tony. Or got done with him, Tony. G.I. Bro charges down the aisle and delivers punch, punch, punch. The bell rings. So, match number four, it's a boot camp match, a.k.a. a last man standing match, because that's all it is. It's just last man standing rules. G.I. Bro defeats Perfect Sean Stasiak and Chuck Palumbi, via his shucky-ducky, quack-quack Lex Flexer. So, now that the match is officially underway, we get some more punches delivered in the aisle. And then, some more punches delivered in the aisle. And now, we've transitioned to kicks in the aisle. Tony lets us know, the, one may think the GI Pro would be in the driver's seat in this configuration, but Perfection has had a lot of momentum as of late. Perfection is whipped into the steps of solid steel. How about these solid, solid steps in WWE? They're just the whippiest, pussiest fucking steps I've ever seen. Now, look, I don't want to get tossed into steel steps ever, but at least the WWF slash E steps have the illusion of being like, rawr, like you run into them and it's like, from frum from. You run into the WCW steps, you practically have to make the noise with your own mouth for impact. But, that's just one man's opinion. Uh, G.I. Bro tosses Perfection inside the ring. G.I. Bro then yells, Hey, would you like to piss off hardcore internet wrestling nerds that read the dirt sheets and live and die by the star rankings of a Meltzer? Well... All you would have to do is simply restate, like your goddamn Mike Tanay, the next words that come out of Mark Madden's mouth as G.I. Bro has the momentum in this conflict. All this G.I. Bro persona has taken the artist formerly known as Booker T to a whole new level. It's brought out his inner self, uh, made him more focused, more of a killer. I like perfection, but I like G.I. Bro in this match. So, this G.I. Bro persona... Has taken the artist formerly known as Booker T. Uh, Perfection should be noted looks like a complete fucking goof with this face paint on. It's just it's so bad and it's so pathetic, and I kind of love it. Uh, Fort Hood forearm delivered, by, delivered by the Broster, and then he hits a big body slam. Uh, GI Bro then again goes Aah! before he sends Perfection over the top rope. A jumping axi from GI Bro. Mark Madden then notes, "You know, there's only one type of training that can help you in this type of matchup—army training, sure." Mark Madden earning his comedic stripes. Perfection is tossed over the railing into the fucking sea of Baltimoreans at ringside. The two athletes punch one another in the crowd until GI Bro tosses Perfection back over the railing. GI Bro then grabs a chair and absolutely whiffs the chair shot that he's supposed to deliver to Perfect Perfection Perfect Sean still sells the impact. I mean, come on, guys. The chairs make a noise when it hits. If there's no noise, it didn't hit, so don't fall down. You know that part in Mortal Kombat where Johnny Cage is like, this is the part where you fall down. You don't have to live by those rules when you're performing on the fly. You actually decide what happens next in the match narrative. There's no script. Based on the fierce impact delivered, Tony Giovanni wants to talk about Goldberg. I don't blame him. Sean gets tossed inside for an eight count, but he gets up. Bro gets Perfection in the corner. Ah! He yells. Uh, he then mounts Perfect Shawn for the count-along punches. The crowd doesn't even start counting until he gets to five. Perfect Shawn counters with an inverted atomic drop, which has no effect on what I'm assuming is a huge penis of a Booker T. Uh, Perfection then lifts G.I. Bro, and he goes to stun gun him on the top turnbuckle. However, G.I. Bro mid lift has to practically dive forward to actually get stun gunned into the buckle. It's like the second bocce stun gun of this pay per view. What is going on? As my friend Joe Schmo would say. Anywho, um, Perfection is now in control of the offense in this matchup. So, as you can imagine, we get stomped. Stomp! Stomp! Walk away and yell at the crowd, Punch! Stomp! Based on this offensive flurry, Scott Hudson notes that he is indeed still shocked by the actions of Chris Canyon. He came up out of the wheelchair, out of the halo, and attacked Diamond Dallas Page. Let's, that's incredible, Tony. An elbow by perfection. The referee counts. He gets all the way to 8 before G.I. Bro stands up after a fucking reverse elbow. G.I. Bro stands up. Punch, 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 forearm, punch. Spinning Harlem kick out of nowhere. Perfect is down and the referee gets to 5. So the spinning Harlem kick gets only a 5 whereas an elbow transition gets an 8. G.I. Bro is tossed outside. We get some more fighting in the aisle Uh, Mark Madden lets us know that uh, this match uh, shortens careers. You don't see guys have a boot camp match more than once or twice in a career, Tony. A suplex by perfection slams G.I. Bro onto the entryway grate. Uh, G.I. Bro is definitely in pain here. Upon seeing G.I. Bro land on solid steel, Madden is all like, Ah, I believe Booker's now wearing a full metal jacket, Scott. That would be G.I. Bro is now wearing a full metal jacket, says Tony. G.I. Bro, though, beats the count at eight. Back in the ring now, and G.I. Bro yells, Shit! After being slammed into the wimpy, pussy-ass WCW steps. Perfection is up on the top rope. He waits. He waits. He waits some more. Hey! G.I. Bro turns around so Perfection can jump and hit a leaping clothesline. He tells the ref to count it! But G.I. Bro gets up at the referee's count of nine. So close to ending this match. Perfection goes for another play, but it's countered by G.I. Bro. But then another clothesline sends G.I. Bro down. The referee counts, but G.I. Bro is up at eight and a half, according to Scott Hudson. We go outside and punch again. Uh, we fight in the crowd again. Upon fighting in the crowd, Tony says that we're taking it to the streets, so to speak. Um, Tony then sounds like Jim Ross. Because he he starts talking about this match like it's football. He's like, it's the fourth quarter and we're on the goal line. Then Tony tells us he believes Sean Stasiak has a little little cut above his eye and starts weaving together a fictional narrative for the ages, telling us that the, uh, the Maryland State Athletic Commission is watching this match closely. Oh, come the fuck on! I mean, this is not a flare funk death match or something like that. I mean, this is... Tony, you're insulting the great fictional history of state athletic commissions used in a professional wrestling narrative. Come on! They deserve better than this. Uh, back in the ring, somebody hits a gut wrench powerbomb. I didn't write down who, so we'll have to guess. But both men are down. Perfection gets up at five. G.I. Bro gets up at nine and one sixth, according to my calculations. A boring chant breaks out. Perfection showing that he is in tune with the professional wrestling audience. Locks in a sleeper. <laughs> He's kind of like a living internet troll. As a, you know, you know that could be a pretty fun character. Like if the crowd starts chanting boring, like you purposely lock in a sleeper. Uh, like, yeah, like you're in a cage match and you tease that you're going to jump off the top of a cage with like a shooting star press and the crowd's all like, oh my god! And they get ready for it and then you're just like, nah, that's good. And you climb down. But then I guess I guess to, to play counterpoint to that, every once in a while you'd have to actually do the move. But you know what? You shouldn't tease the move. So... You know, you're in a cage match. Some Someday you just scale the cage and do a shooting star press without any sort of buildup. That way you deny the audience the opportunity or, like, the right to pop or boo. I don't know. We might have something here. Shades of Orange Julius or whatever that orange guy's name is. Anywho, uh, G.I. Bro breaks out of the sleeper, uh, but he's put back down by a back elbow. Well, shit, that's another back elbow. He should be done, Tony. At this point in my notes, I write, someone please kill me. You know what? I don't want to talk about this match anymore. You know what? I This weekend, kidsters, I saw Across the Spider-Verse. Now, no spoilers here. I wouldn't dare. But I'll tell you what. It was really, really good. Like a 9.9999999 out of 10. Like, it was so creative. The sound design and the score was awesome. And the camera work was amazing. I mean, there's no cameras. It's an animated movie. But, man, you wouldn't know it from this. And you know what? How about that Apple Vision Pro, huh? Are you ready? Right, now, now, Johnny, I, I couldn't help but hear you speak about Apple Vision Pro. Concrete, man, what are you doing here? I'm talking about G.I. Bro and perfection. Nah, I know, Johnny, but I, I want to let you know that the, the WWE has been preparing for decades, Johnny, to compete in the digital spatial computing space, Johnny. You see, we've been creating spatial-based programming of an over-the-top nature for decades, Johnny. You know, at WrestleMania three, there were 97,000 people back to the Silverdome, and we were providing spatial entertainment. They were computing this entertainment, Johnny. Now, cloud-based spatial computing has been in the WWE house for some time. It's on our flywheel, Johnny. The metrics are computed by our ROI and our shareholders. We'll be happy to know that we're, we're creating content of an app basis for the spatial computing space. That's great. I love it. I mean, imagine putting on the Apple Vision Pro, watching Castro's Great America Bash 2000, and, and feeling like you're in the boot camp match. I already feel like I'm in it because I'm forced to watch it. Hey, suddenly Chuck Palumbi is here with a Lex Flexer. Axe kick by G.I. Bro, but then a Lex Flexer shot delivered to G.I. Bro. Now, the tag team champions are at a two-on-one advantage. G.I. Bro is going to win the WCW title next month, so I'm assuming he can easily take out the tag team champions, but let's see, shall we? G.I. Bro is up but eats another Lex Flexer shot. Stomp! 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 Vicious offense from the tag team champions. Irish whip to G.I. Bro. The tag champs go for a double Lex Flexer clothesline, but it's ducked! G.I. Bro hits a diving bro line! The tag champs are down. Spear Rudy, Spear Rudy, Spirouty! Rudy. Good God, it's a Spirouty! Fort Knox sidekick delivered to Palumbi, and then another for Sean. G.I. Bro is a house of fire. Lex Flexer shot and Palumbi is down. We are 20 minutes in to a brutal boot camp match. And G.I. Bro looks fresh as if the match just started. Lex Flexer shot to Perfection. Perfection cannot answer the 10 count. The bell rings and it's over. So, at 13 minutes and 58 seconds, G.I. Bro wins what Scott Hudson called the 20-minute brutal boot camp match. Ladies and gentlemen, I am ready for a star ranking. I give this match a negative five star general. Keep in mind, WW Must Die is the show where I sometimes give complete cluster fucks a positive five star ranking because it's so good you can't, aff- it's so bad you can't afford to miss it. This is the definition of you can afford to miss it. Ice it on the cake, though. After the match is completed, Mark Madden with a quote for the ages. You know, G.I. Bro victorious here in this matchup. This was his D-Day, and he's truly landed on the beach here in WCW. (laughs) Now, yes, this is a horrendous use of D-Day and Omaha Beach imagery to put over a wrestler. Or perhaps it could be foreshadowing that G.I. Bro will win the title at Bash at the Beach. Oh, it's a conspiracy, Johnny C. You know, you know, Johnny, D-Day didn't really happen. You know, Spielberg Spielberg, and liberal media want you to think it happened. But no U.S. soldiers died in WW2. We all know Americans are invincible, Johnny. You know, you, they touch the star, and you can't hurt them as long as that music is playing. Conspiracy. Backstage, New Blood Canyon is packing up his bag, looking like he's ready to get the fuck out of Dodge. Mean Gene barges in. Canyon, after what we saw out there earlier tonight, I've only got one question for you. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. When I was in the hospital, nobody came to visit me more than Eric Bischoff. And he told me all I had to do to become a star to get your spot, DDP, was to put you out. And that's exactly what I did tonight with your own finishing move. Wait a minute. I beg to differ with you. And I understand that we have right now some footage. Yes, let's go back and take a look. So we see footage. We see the ambulance and it says moments ago on the screen. The ambulance door swings open, DDP emerges and punches an innocent EMT, our hero, ladies and gentlemen. DDP then stumbles away towards the street. It does not look to me like you put Diamond Ellis Page out of action. Now, the footage continues, and we take a break for a moment, because this is no longer about Canyon and DDP. DDP walks out of the camera frame, and the camera sees, like the fleet of cops, the thin blue line, as Scott Hudson would call them. Suddenly, Goldberg of Miss prime is here. The Goldberg truck is in the area. Now, keep in mind, the Goldberg monster truck is huge. It's a monster truck. And it literally says Goldberg across the body of the truck. Even though this is the case, Scott Hudson yells, That's the Goldberg truck! Now, let's get back to Canyon. We cut back to Canyon and Mean Gene. DDP is still here, Chris Canyon. Nah, I'm sure. I put him, well, you know, I'm more than sure. I'm positive. As a matter of fact, I'm positively Canyon. Yes! Oh, Positively Canyon, this is the birth of one of my favorite gimmicks. I love Positively Canyon, but we'll talk about him more when he shows up on a on a week-to-week basis on Nitro and Thunder. Back in the arena, that evil organ music hits. Man, every time I hear this music, like, I know. I know that this is not the opening theme music to Final Fantasy VI, I know it's not, but I think it is every time I hear it. But Final Fantasy VI is awesome, and the franchise Shane Douglas is not, and this is the franchise's theme song. Uh, Before we can pivot, Mark Madden chimes in with one final word on Positively Canyon that made me chuckle. Well, Positively Canyon, not a good message for the kids, Tony. Columbo Schiavone, though, is all like, Well, fans, questions, I've been answered, and the case is closed. Now we know that in the design and implications of the new blood configuration, Bischoff got to Canyon. Uh, we start talking about Goldberg is here. Can the cops stop him, etc., etc. They need to be on red alert. Franchise speaks up. Cut the damn music! Now the franchise is ready to speak. Hudson's all like, Well, the guy with the bleep key better get ready. Wait, we're on pay-per-view, aren't we? Well, we should be able to, to tell that you're on pay-per-view, Scott, because it's been match, 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 match tonight. Unlike television. Well, what does Shane Douglas want to talk about? You might want to know. Well, before I clue you in, allow me to change my tone. Because, yes, I am usually not the biggest fan of the franchise. But I'm happy now because what he's about to do is kick off a legendary WCW Must Die segment. First off... You Baltimore pieces of shit. Sit down and pay attention while the real star here in WCW tells you a little lesson. (laughs) They've put a wall up in front of the franchise tonight. Tonight could be a very historic night. You people here in Baltimore might finally have the pleasure of seeing not only one, but two Two great careers come to a close. Yeah. While the new blood is disposing of Hulk Hogan and Dick Flair. Yeah. It's Rook Flair! Adds in Hudson. No shit, Scott. We know. The franchise is going to define his career tonight. He's right and he doesn't even know it. At the wall's expense.
1: You see, Baltimore...
0: I like to make guarantees, and I guarantee that tonight I'm going to chop the wall down to size. That's why I've got a plan.
1: Hey wall! A little challenge,
0: big man. It ain't a tables match. I suggest we make it a best of five table matches. And I say we give these people in Baltimore a knockdown, down kick-ass, Baltimore, drag-ass fight with five tables broken, not one! We see a sky cam above the ring, and it does show that tables have surrounded the ring. Madden chimes in, That's best of nine, really. You gotta break five to win! If you're up for it, big man, I think Baltimore will let us know if they want that. Do you want five tables? Baltimore lightly cheers. You just signed the Wall's death warrant. Get out here, you big piece of crap! Okay! Pause. I, I said legendary. I want to live up to that hype. First, we must dissect this promo, ladies and gentlemen. There are many things to consider. But by my count, there are three we have to examine further. Number one, the face-heel alignment of this promo. Number two the use of math in the English language, and three, the use of profanity. So let's start with number one, shall we? Is the franchise here a babyface or a heel? Because he seems to change alignment just mere sentences apart from one another, all right? Let's look at point A. He calls Baltimore pieces of shit. B. He says, they put a wall in my way, which is something that happens to babyfaces. Obstacles get put in their way. C. He calls it a historic night because it's the end of your heroes. Well, that's a heel thing. D. He makes a guarantee, or he promises the crowd they're going to get something, which is pseudo-babyface, even though Vince makes guarantees and he's a heel. E. He issues a challenge to the wall. Now, that's a babyface move. F. Another babyface move, let's give Baltimore a kick-ass, drag-ass fight. I don't know what kick-ass, drag-ass is, but that's a babyface move. Gee, he wants Baltimore to buy in by being like, what do you think, Baltimore? Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand it. Let's look at point number two, math and the English language. Let's look at point A. Shane calls this a best-of-five Table matches. That's what he says. Which brings me to point B. This implies it would be the first to win three different table matches. So we've seen a tables match where you win by putting your opponent through a table. A best of five table matches would be first to win three different matches. Meaning the bell rings. The bell rings to signify the ending. And then we start a new one. Maybe on a different night. Maybe later in the night. But it's a series of five distinct matches if it goes the distance. Uh, let's see here. Uh, point number C, uh, you could easily call it best of five. But point number D, Madden indicates it's first to put someone through five, which brings me to point number E. That makes it best of nine. Point number F, regardless of... There will be no start and stop to these things. So it's not best of five table matches or best of nine table matches. It's it's not matches at all. Let's look at the number three, profanity. Uh, point A, a uh, franchise starts off hot and heavy while using the word shit. And then he says dick. But then he pusses out and says crap at the end. So what the fuck happened to his confidence in between? How come he was allowed to say shit? and dick but then he had to end with crap it's so inconsistent i love every ounce of it the wall makes his entrance and the math debate will continue in this match folks because nobody has an idea what the fuck is going on and it just adds to the overall entertainment level a sign in the crowd actually says it's table time i mean come on man You're going to the show, you're getting the gang together, everybody's having a good time, we're pre-gaming. You're like, hey guys, I made a sign. Oh, sweet, dude, what's it say? You reveal your It's Table Time sign? I mean, are you out of friends? Do your friends decide to not go with you to Castrol's Great American Bash? Because I wouldn't go with you. That's like Putty painting his face. Um... Tony lets us know as the wall makes his entrance. The wall is nothing less than a monster who's been impervious to pain. Tony then clarifies, and I'm doing the finger quotes on clarifies. Tony clarifies it's the first person to put their opponent through five tables. Mark Madden then adds, So that means it's five tables throughout the time frame of one match. So he at least understands where the conundrum was here because he clarifies it's one match, but he also indicates five tables, one match. The bell rings, ladies and gentlemen. So, match number five, a tables match, where you must put your opponent through five tables. Not a best of five table matches, or best of nine table matches series but will actually be a match where you win by putting your opponent through three tables, which means it's a best-of-five-tables match, singular. The wall loses to the franchise because the franchise puts the wall through two-and-a-half tables. Hey, I I just report the facts. The match starts, and it's punch, punch. Tony indicates the bell sounds, and the five-table match is finally here. Like, like you were waiting for this to happen, Tony. It was just made a five-tables match a second ago. A big boot by the wall. Tony lets us know fans Goldberg is here. They just can't not talk about him. The wall yells at Franchise, and then delivers a stiff knee lift, and then punches in the corner. Franchise comes back with a little gut kick. Tony lets us know that Shane wants to win this match so he can, quote, get back in the good graces of the hierarchy of the New Blood. The Wall shoves the franchise off of a neckbreaker and hits with a big another brick-in-the-wall clothesline. Hudson wants to talk about the size of the egos of the New Blood because the egos of these New Blood members have led us here to a best-of-nine tables match at Castle's Great American Bash, Tony. The franchise delivers a Triple H-style big jumpy knee, but the wall is immediately back up and puts the franchise in the neck hang, called a pickup choke by Tony, then a front chancery, and a front suplex by the franchise. Franchise then hits his rolling reverse neck snap. It's like... Mr. Perfect used to do that thing where your opponent would be sitting and he'd run and snap your neck while rolling forward. The franchise does that when your chest is on the mat. He runs forward and rolls and grabs your neck and lifts it, cranks it backwards. Uh, Madden calls this rolling reverse neck snap uh, one of the great moves in sports entertainment. The wall clotheslines the franchise over the top. But Franchise, no, wall, wall is clotheslined over the top by the Franchise, and then Franchise does a baseball slide that sends the Wall jumping over a table, but, but not through the table. Tony reiterates and says, quote, You must put a man through five separate tables. Drama at either end. Which could also describe a night that you overindulge in Taco Bell. Drama at either end. But regardless, I'm not sure what you must put a man through five separate tables, drama at either end means in the context of this wrestling match. But he said it. The franchise is all set up to sue. Play the wall through a table, but he gets blocked, goozled, and choke slammed through a table, and the wall is up one to nothing. Now, in case you were not aware that the wall is up one to nothing, referee Slick Johnson confirms this by spiking the camera. And in a high-pitched voice, squeals, Right there! One-nothing, baby! Hudson then lets us know, Four more to go if the wall wants to win. So still on this five-tables kick, the franchise starts to fight back, but no! The wall immediately tosses Shane Douglas through another table. Now, Scott Hudson really starts to complicate matters by trying to clear things up. There is two! One more! And he'll have Three! Three is the best of five. Tony, we're getting the word. It's the best of five, not five total. Unbelievable! Just, just clue these guys in ahead of time. I mean, the franchise fucked up the promo. Uh, he didn't make it clear, which is why it's so great. But if if your announcers know right away what the scoop is because they were given a format sheet, then you know when the bell rings, they can be like, "Oh my goodness!" First to put their opponent through three tables, the best of five! Like, they can sell it! Nobody had any idea what was going on. Of course, if they knew, it wouldn't make this match so legendary and awesome. Alright, what happens next? Uh, Oh, we're back in the ring for some reason. Uh, Franchise delivers two Rochambeau kicks, which are kicks to the dick, and the franchise now runs away to the outside, but beckons that the wall follow. Now, the wall appears to be not hurt from these Rochambeau dick shots, Scott Hudson says, we call that no-selling a low-blow, Tony. We end up by the entranceway, folks, where a giant ladder is set up next to a stack of three tables. So the franchise clearly planned this ahead, I guess. We fight some more. The announcers debate if the stack of three tables that's clearly in front of us is three tables. It is. It clearly is. Franchise climbs up top. The wall follows, but like an idiot. The wall climbs the ladder, even though he's climbing on the side nearest to the tables. Meaning that he'd have to, I don't know, suplex Franchise over or choke slam him over to get through the tables. Like, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. But it is the wall. So I guess, what do you expect? Franchise punches the wall, but the wall goozles. No! Another right hand by Franchise. Another goozle. No! A right hand by Shane. The wall looks behind him to measure his stunt-based falling distance. Another right hand. Another. The wall is dazed. Another right hand. And the wall falls backwards! He fell through two tables! Yells Tony. Two! It's revealed that the franchise had on brass knucks, and that's why uh, the wall fell, because of just right hands. The bell rings, but folks, I don't mind telling you. Even though the wall did fall through a stack of three tables... One of the tables is still halfway standing, hence the franchise wins this match that I'm not going to re-describe the numbers for, by putting the wall through two and a half tables. Unbelievable! Folks, we just had one of the worst, worst, worst matches in WWE Must Die history, followed immediately by one of the best. You know what this match gets. It gets the best of five table matches, baby. Five stars, all-time WCW classic clusterfuck. Remember, five stars means you can't miss it. You can't afford to miss this entire presentation. It's glorious and pathetic, and I love it. This this is the reason I got into this business, folks. Matches like this. Uh, A post-match, wall gets back up, no-sells the tables, and choke slams referee Slick Johnson through a table. Sure. (laughs) Why not? Why the fuck not? Let's do it. Well, by my count, ladies and gentlemen, here in part one of this presentation, we have just one more match to go, but before we can get to it, let's uh, take a look and see what's going on outside of the arena, Tony. Night has fallen here in Baltimore, and you know, the, uh, the thin blue line of the police presence is still here alive and well, but then, suddenly, the line breaks! As it appears that the police are allowing a single car into the lot. It looks to be a black charger. Oh my god! It's Dominic Toretto. It's all about family. Lame joke, but I'm leaving it in. It's actually better than Dominic Toretto. It's... Hollywood Hulk Hogan, dude, brother, yeah. Oh, you guys, I just got back from a supreme sacrifice, dude. We took my legal beagle Jimmy Hart, and I ripped his heart out. Whoa, a heart for a heart, dude. That's what I'm talking about. It's brand synergy, Johnny C. Whoa, I can see beyond the TV. What the hell's going on? Kidsters. Oof. Oof. Where am I, dude? No, it's better than that. Hollywood Hogan is here, and he's in his full black and white regalia. He's got the boas on and everything. But, folks, this boa that he's wearing, it's huge. How does he fit in the car with this boa on? Never mind that, though, because he speaks. Somebody's going to get their ass kicked. He takes off his weight belt. Cartillo, maybe a strap. No, no, Hogan is cut off because we're back in the arena. Wait, where did he go? He was talking to me. What is the significance of his new belt? Why is he arriving just moments before his scheduled belt? And who is Cardillo? Well, I can't answer one or two, but folks, thanks to some internet research, I learned Cardillo appears to be a company that makes weight belts, and they're in existence to this very day, so good on you, Cardillo. So I guess the genesis of what he was attempting to say before he was rudely interrupted was that he had some weight belt he was going to whip Kidman with, I'm sure, blah, 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 blah. But you know what, guys? I had to rewind this fucking segment six times. And why was I committed to such podcast journalism? Because I wanted to get it right? No. Because I was 96% sure that he said, Carzilla! Imagine how pissed I was when they cut away when I thought, he was saying Carzilla. Because in my mind, he was giving his, his car a name, and then he would, like, start personifying it, talking about how, you know something, dudes? Me and Carzilla, you know, we've been driving around the streets of Baltimore, dude. And, and he, Carzilla told me he was getting hungry, and he wants to eat Billy the Kid's stinking ass, dude. You guys remember when Hogan used to walk around telling Kidman and random strangers that he was going to eat his ass, that being Hogan? I'm not even joking. It lasted for weeks. You remember that? Kidman, I'm going to eat your ass, dude. It happened. It's a real thing. I think Nash probably had to smarten him up to it. Hulk, I mean, you hear what you're saying, right? Yeah, dude, I'm going to eat his ass, dude. I'm going to eat him for dinner because I'm a supreme machine a fighting, dude. Uh, I think that's comma. You know the Godfather? The guy over up north New York? He's got the ladies? you can buy them? Huh. I should go back to New York. Anyway, as I mentioned, we cut back to the arena. Mark Madden actually does a half-decent impression of Bobby the Brain Heenan here, because as soon as we cut back and Hogan's been cut off, Madden says, Did you see how scared he was? No! Everybody's like, oh, come on, for Pete's sake! But then, Madden reminds us that he is a Bobby Heenan for the modern age. Because after he says, you how scared he was? Everybody's like, no, he wasn't, for Pete's sake. That's Hollywood, Hulk Hogan. He's not afraid of anything, Mark. Ah, uh, he was sweating like a nitro girl before the pregnancy test comes back. Yikes, adds Hudson. But it's time to get back to live action. Here comes the Pit Fighter the challenger for the United States heavyweight belt strap, it is Tank Abbott in his patented Kmart shorts. Unfortunately, Tank Abbott does not speak. But as he's in the ring getting loosened up, Scott Hudson on commentary explains to us the Tank Abbott character and also gives us a little peek behind the curtain about uh, Scott Hudson's personal taste, which is fine. It's just interesting that here in the year 2000, he's displaying it for a national broadcast. But, but that's just, that's because it breaks barriers, though. And that's a good thing. He made his name, fighting... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> take two. Use take two. He made his na- He made a name for himself, fighting in the octagon, fighting off the cream of the shoot fighting crop. But they may not come any creamier than Scott Steiner. Just one more time. He made his name. God damn it, I did it again. He made a name, fighting for himself in the octagon, fighting off the cream of the shoot-fighting crop. But they may not come any creamier than Scott Steiner. The Sirens broadcast through the Baltimore arena. Here comes Big Papa Penis with his freaks, Shakira and Madeja. Now, Mark Madden, not to be, uh, you know, one-upped by Scott Hudson, calls the ladies hoochies, or hoochies, Tony. Now, the ladies have upgraded their gear for this premium live event. On the front of their shorts, in the middle, they have what I'm calling the let's keep it legal Scott Steiner Superman logo, because, you know, Scott Steiner has an S logo. It's like, it's like We're close to Superman, but we're also so far away you couldn't possibly sue us. You know what I mean? Now, Madden demands that these logos demand further investigation. Do they have see-through? Something logos in their crotch? For heaven's sake, that is super. Tony tries to PG this thing up. Um, you mean on their shorts, on their hot pants. (laughs) Tony Giovanni just saying the word hot pants is actually... More uh, gross out than Hudson talking about their crotchers, Tony. Now, the rules for this Asylum match is that you win by submission only. And if you're not familiar with the Asylum, it's the tiny little round cage that's been used on past episodes of WCW Must Die. So why haven't you listened to those? Mm-hmm. You just outed yourself. I can see you. You didn't listen, huh? So the Asylum is still hanging well above the ring. So well above the ring, I can't even see it. Scott Steiner enters the ring, Tank Abbott strikes, and so the bell rings! Here we go! The main event of WCW Must Die, Episode 20, Part 1. Match number six, the Asylum match for the United States Championship. Scott Steiner, wait a minute! Just hold on a second. David Pinzer's on the microphone as Scott and Tank punch each other and throw each other around with souples. So, fuck the action. Let's hear what David Pinzer has to say. Now, I don't do a David Pinzer as well as I do a Gary Michael Capetta. And I'm not tooting my own horn, I'm just letting you know the impression might suck. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been handed an... That's two Gary Michael Capetta. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I've been handed an announcement by Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo. Since the Asylum is Scott Steiner's signature match, and an effort to establish an even playing field, Rick Steiner has been added to the match, making it a two-on-one handicap match. Very well. Just redo this thing here real quick. Don't worry about my time. Match number six. The Handicap two-on-one Asylum match for the United States Championship. Scott Steiner defeats Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner via ring the damn bell. Now, at this moment in time, the match has been happening, you know, for a little bit, not too long, but there's been some punches and tosses and minor souples uh, during the announcement of David Penzer, but Rick Steiner's not out of the ring yet, and the asylum is still out of view. The bell ring for this match at 1 hour, 15 minutes, and 23 seconds. Don't look at how long this podcast has been and suddenly realize it's longer than the show I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. But like I said, the bell ring at 1 hour, 15 minutes, and 23 seconds. Rick Steiner emerges at 1 hour, 15 minutes, and 55 seconds. And a heel beatdown begins. And the asylum is still hanging out of my view. At 1 hour, 16 minutes, and 10 seconds, the asylum starts to lower. Now, as the asylum lowers, it's so goofy because everyone has to stay towards the center of the ring in order to make sure that the asylum can safely come down and not, like, crush anybody. And the heels are just punch, punch, punch. They're just... Yeah, I'd say they're stalling, but it's kind of worse than stalling in a way, because they're already in the ring fighting. Big Goldberg chance Makes sense. This is sort of where he's been centered and focused on. As the asylum continues to lower, Mark Madden has information for us. You know, Tank's going to be used to this. He's been in the octagon. He's been in jail an awful lot. One hour, 16 minutes, and 55 seconds, so exactly one minute The asyl- after Rick emerged, the asylum is now in place. Now, why am I caring so much about these timestamps? It doesn't seem like it was that big of a deal and not much time passed. Well, I'll tell you... The bell to end this match rings at 1 hour and 19 minutes. So, we've got about 2 minutes to play around in the asylum. I'm not even going to call this match. It's punch, kick, walk around, punch, kick, walk around. But I'll give you the finish. At 1 hour, 18 minutes and 24 seconds, Tank Abbott takes off one of his pit fighter gloves and wraps a chain around his hand. Now, Rick Steiner sees the chain and he's like, Eh, you know, I don't like just Steiner." And yeah, I always tell people don't like me, bite me, but I don't think you need to punch him in the face with a chain. You don't like it, bite it. Don't hit my brother with a chain. And Tank Abbott's like, oh, That's cool, it's not a big deal, I understand. I ain't gotta use a chain of Tank Abbott to punch him in the face like we did Bill Goldberg. So the chain is off, Rick holds up Scott Steiner, but Tank Abbott sneakily rewraps the chain around his head. Throws a punch at Rick Steiner instead of Scott Steiner. Now, credit to Rick Steiner because what's supposed to happen is when Rick Steiner sees that Tank is throwing a chain punch, Rick is supposed to push Scott out of the way and take the shot himself. Rick does push Scott out of the way. But it looks really weird because Tank Abbott is not a professional sports entertainer and he's just aiming at Rick the whole time. I guess because he's afraid they won't pull the stunt off. So Rick Steiner's out for the count due to a chain shot. Scott hits Tank with a low blow, wraps the chain around his own fist, punches Tank. Tank is down. Steiner recliner is locked in. Now, I counted from the moment that Steiner leans back with the Steiner recliner, which means it's fully in place. I said, 1-1-thousand. I said, 2-1, and then the bell rang. So Tank Abbott is not even in this maneuver for two seconds. Now, he's not... in not, the, the bell rings. Tank's not knocked out. He's not like... That's me with my mouth agape and tongue out and my eyes closed. So it's not like he's winning be a knockout. And it's a technical submission because Tank can't protect himself. Because Tank's eyes are open. And he's going... yeah And the ref just calls it. I'm assuming because they didn't trust Tank Abbott to take the move for a long time and actually submit... Like, he'd be like, "Yeah, no, I'm so fat. I wouldn't be in a move for that long. I can get out of the and I can punch Scott down and win the match. But that's all hearsay in conjuncture. I don't have any actual evidence to back it up, but, uh, who cares? You know, I'm not, I, I, this might be a first in WWE Must Die history, folks, but I, I'm not even gonna rank this match. There, there's, there, there's nothing, there's nothing to it. I wouldn't even say go out of your time to watch it because it's, it's not like anything funny happens. It's just, done poorly it's poor execution it's not even really funny and folks that's the end of the show wait a minute we can't end on such a downer two-parters are supposed to end on a cliffhanger well it's professional wrestling from 23 years ago how much of a cliffhanger can i give you all right tell you what we'll cover one more segment the segment that happens right after this fight because it's a doozy A black limousine arrives. The black limousine door is opened. Who exits from this black limousine? Well, we're outside in the parking lot, by the way, but the cops are behind the limo. Out steps Rick Flair. Woo! Not your dad. He's accompanied by America's favorite stepmom, Beth Fleer. Woo! And who next emerges from the limousine? You guessed it. Reed Fleer. Woo! What? There's more? Who emerges next? My God! It's Megan Fleer Thompson. Roll Tide. Woo! Unbelievable. Megan Fleer Thompson makes her first appearance. Of course, at the time, she's only Megan Fleer, but that's okay. Roll Tide. Well, that's the whole Fleer family. Wait a minute. Some, some Someone else is emerging from the limousine? Ladies and gentlemen making her professional wrestling pay-per-view debut. Ashley Fleer, also known as Charlotte Flair, is here! The Flair-Fleer family is united. They walk off-camera towards their destiny in the Flair vs. Flair vs. Fleer matchup for the career of Ric Flair. And the Goldberg truck is in the background! To be continued. Well, folks, if that doesn't get you hyped, I don't know what will. Because coming up, not only do we have a young Charlotte Flair appearing on pay-per-view, and I promise you getting heavily involved in the matchup, four big main events to come. Hogan versus Kidman, the supreme sacrifice match, dude. Flair versus Flair versus Fleer. David versus Rick for Rick's career. We've got the Human Torch Match, where there's going to be burning flesh, Tony, between Sting and Vampiro. And of course, in the main event for the WCW Heavyweight Belt Strap, Big Sexy, Kevin Nash takes on Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and the promise of a surprise that will change sports entertainment forever! It's WCW Must Die, Episode 20. It continues. Stay with us!